All right. Well, happy Sunday, family. Happy Sunday to you. Happy Lord's Day. If you're visiting, my name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs here, and I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, We are in the last Sunday of our launch series. So this has been an amazing, crazy study in the book of Acts, chapter 1, chapter 2, where we see God launch his church We even see specifically the growth process that it involves. We dig a little deeper into it. And the growth process thing is especially important to this church because the entire mission of our church is growing. Growing in being followers of Christ, family-focused, and fishers for men. And even more specifically, the way that we measure this growth is by how well our growth groups, which meet throughout the week, are taking the growth steps. So we want to... We want everyone here with this last sermon in our launch series to jump into this sermon with us, but even more after this sermon to launch out with us in growing, in, in our growth groups, taking growth steps, which again, the growth steps are in, is engaging others, number one, with the gospel, engaging others with the gospel, number two, establishing the faith, and then being equipped to minister It's you. You're you're the real ministers of this church and being empowered to lead. You see, God has a high aspiration for your life and he thinks a lot more about you than you tend to think about you. And he's going to help you grow into that which he has prepared for you. That's the point with God. All right. So here we go. We've in this series, we've already covered how God brings a new perspective for your life, uh, a new position, new power new peace, a whole new progression for your life. And then today we're going to see at the end of Acts chapter 2 how Jesus alone is the person who creates new people. Would you stand to your feet with me? We stand to honor God's word. There is a certain reverence and awe that we need to have for the unusual things that we're going to read today. My prayer is that if you've read the verses that we're going to read, the end of chapter 2 of Acts, starting with verses 42 all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 47, my prayer is that you would see redemptively how unusual this is and how wonderful this is, regardless of if you're familiar with this. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42. And they, the Christians, thousands at this point of Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul or fear. The word fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all As any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and favor and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. God, we pray that you would enable in us uh, an awe and a righteous fear and a reverence for who you are. Even the mystery that we see 
in your perfect word, how you have ordained this, this amazing acrostic here, this, this, this pattern of this word all. All these times we see this word all shows us, God, that you are the creator of all things. You, you are sovereign over all things. You made all things. You made the heavens and the earth, and we can be in awe of how you've created all things. You stand above all things. And all the things that you create, God, the thing that most amazes me is how you can create new people out of dead people like I used to be. And I pray, Jesus, that today that you would do just that, that your power to create new people, to grow new people would be upon us today. More than just our efforts to try to be new with our best goals, that futility, or the comfortability of being our old self with a little bit of new Christian things. But I pray that you would do a new work and continue to grow and multiply a new people. Pray this for your name. Amen. By the end of, the, of when you leave here, I want to point out a few takeaways that I find very strange about what we just read and very redemptive. And there, there are a few takeaways that actually relate to what we dream of seeing God accomplish in this church. And so that's why even before I get back to some of these takeaways that I see from Acts 2, I'm going to develop a little context about what we do and what we aspire to and grow in being as a church, a group of people that are in fellowship with one another. But before I do any of that, I want to take some time developing just how strange any of this is in the first place. How wondrous and crazy what we just read and what we aspire to really is. Because maybe you've read this before or maybe you read it for your first time, but it says that they were selling their possessions, all their possessions, and all the people were living in this communal lifestyle. The first time I read this, I was thinking, what is this? This is like communism or something. Christian communism. They were selling their possessions. They were sharing. They were praising. There was this favor and generosity. Well, what a strange sort of people. What sort of people can live like this? Well, new people. But let me just develop for you just an illustration of how strange this is. Imagine you're a dad and you have a daughter. It's not very hard for some of us to imagine, right? But imagine your daughter goes away to college, let's say some rural part of the country, away from our regular influence centers of our countries, our big cities, and goes, she goes to school in like, you know, rural Kansas or something. If you're from Kansas, you'll see where this is going. Someplace reminiscent of first century Galilee from which the apostles came from. Far from Jerusalem and from the influence center of the religion and the culture of the day, your daughter goes away to college in Kansas. And she comes back. 
And she says, Daddy, I met this guy. Oh my gosh. I would already be in this place. I'd be like, I don't like where this is going, but go on. Okay, it's not like that, Daddy. He's a really, really good guy. Like really, really good, okay? He does miracles. He is perfect, actually. He says he's God, okay? So I would go from being concerned to being like really concerned, right? But daddy, here's the thing with this guy. His name's Yeshua and uh, he died and I was really, really sad. But it's okay though because a few days later he was not dead and he was walking through walls and stuff and we were all so happy and so amazed. But then he went away in the clouds, right? I'd be like, okay, we need to get you tested. What's going on with you? And then she goes on, Daddy, a few days after this, after he went away, yet we were praying to Yeshua because Yeshua told us that we're supposed to pray, right? And, 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 and we were praying, and as we were praying, the craziest thing happened. Uh, this sound came from heaven, and I, I can't even describe the sound. It was like, <gasps> it was like this crazy, strong wind sound. And then like, Tongues jumped out and started resting on people. But don't worry, they were like fire tongues. I would be crazy. I'd be like, okay, what's, what happened to my daughter? But then daddy, okay, here's the other thing I need to tell you. I dropped out of college. And, and I sold all of my, my stuff because I live in this communal lifestyle now. And all these people, they teach me all the things that I need to know. And I'm good. He, all of these people, we live together and we take care of each other's needs. We have no need. In fact, we eat Yeshua's body and drink his blood. Time out. You would be concerned if you heard these things. Now, check this out. This is what the faith, our faith, sounded like two outsiders in the first century. This strange, crazy, weird thing. You need to know that as much as Jesus did better than any other communicator or preacher in history at relating the faith to the life of the culture around him, there was also nonetheless something of a miraculous strangeness transcendency to our faith that came across to a lot of people as other. In fact, it's what one historian said that one of the things that compelled people to join the church in mass numbers in the first several centuries was not because it was so much like anything else, but it was its quote, strange otherness of the faith. But here's my concern. Here's my concern about especially you and I in our culture today in America is that we do so much to relate our faith to things in our culture, business culture, in our political culture, that we start seeing the faith in light of our liberal or conservative views. But check this out. The faith is not about what you believe on the right or on the left. It's so much from above. And if I'm concerned that if you don't see 
how the faith is a radical, fresh, transformative, strange, wondrous, and new thing that I'm afraid you're missing out on something about the freshness of Jesus that you really, really do need. Our faith is a wondrous and awesome and awe-filled thing that's above We really do believe in a mysterious God who existed in all eternity's past in relationship to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the eternal Son, at one point in in human history was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin and came and lived a very perfect life, performing miracles living a perfect life, living the life that we should have lived. And because of that, he would have gone on living forever unless he chose to die a certain death. Now, why? He died the death particularly that we should have died because without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He died the death that we should have died in our place, fulfilling the whole law and the sacrificial law that we read about, the, 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 the law that the, the Levites sacrificed animals for. He lived and he died, and therefore his body and his blood is our very sustenance. That's what we remember when we receive the elements of communion. And Jesus' body and Jesus' blood shed for us is our very hope in what we experience today. It's not just what communion symbolizes. It's how we live and it's how we are provided for. And it's our very functional hope that stands above all our education and science. It's this strange and wondrous and transcendent belief. But check this out. In human history, some of the most brilliant minds have subscribed to this wondrous and awe-filled Belief in this God man who creates new people. The framework for humanitarianism, for science, for education is the belief in this God who creates new people. And my concern for you is is this if our faith is just normal to you, it just kind of fits nicely with how you've always lived, then either that's because you have not yet been made a new person by Jesus, which he can do today by his spirit. Or it's because there's something of his wondrous newness that you need to tap into today. And a strange, awesome transcendence that he has available for you today. And if you live for anything lesser, and if you aspire to any lesser dream above that, like, like say the American dream, I'm afraid you could end up wasting your life. Because check this out. You can be a good, conservative, upstanding citizen living at relative peace with the world around you, and at the same time living at enmity with the vast and expansive and unstoppable kingdom of the living God who creates new people. And to live in this kingdom, you don't just do it by trying harder and making new resolutions. It's by faith in the one who died and rose so we can call us into this newness. It's by faith. Trying to live a Christian life without allowing God to make you a new person 
is like trying to spacewalk without a spacesuit. You need his covering, his power to call you to this newness. And when you're established in the faith in this person, his newness is your new normal. This strange and wondrous thing is your life. You're all about that life. It's the Acts 2 life. And my prayer is that it's the spring's life. And that's why I want to relate this strange new life that the Bible calls us to, that God affirms us in and grows us in. I want to relate that to our heart for the basics of our church. As a church, we desire to engage people with the gospel that God calls them into making them new people so that they can live out this lifestyle. When we engage people, what are we trying to do? I mean, let's just stop for a second. When you're in a growth group, and we, every growth group, our 28 growth groups that meet around, when we pray for people, and we pray for the needs of the people present, as well as we pray for the names of the people not present, we're starting the process of engaging those people that are not yet here, that are there, they're not yet even in our growth groups, what are we doing when we're engaging them? And when we go beyond that and we start to invite those who we've already prayed for and we are praying for, invite them into relationship and maybe inviting them particularly to our growth group or connecting them to the church, what are we trying to accomplish? Are we just kind of hoping that as we engage them that that life goes a little bit better for them and that they add a little bit of peace and tranquility to their routine? No, no. No, when we're engaging others, it's not so that we can see their lives improve. We're hoping that life as they know it comes to an end. And that new life is enacted by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're praying for when we engage. Jesus says, he who comes after me must die to himself, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's a pretty radical and wonderful thing that's so much bigger than the things that we often settle for. That's what happened when these people were launched out in Acts 2. You see, they they didn't just sell their possessions. They exchanged their whole reason for existence in return for a better purpose for existence that Jesus had enacted in their hearts. That's the only reason that they could live this way. And so when we engage people Jesus establishes them, establishes them, growth step number two, in the faith. And this faith is the life that we see him call them to. I, I live and I have the privilege of being in fellowship, in relationship with a bunch of strange and wonderful people that live like this. Because Jesus has made us new. And we're still in process of growing. And he is still faithful to grow us unto himself. But this newness of life, this radical living is what he calls us to. It's so much different than a regular American lifestyle. Now, as it relates to this, here's my three takeaways. Here's how our church vision, I believe the aspirations of what we're establishing in the faith and the three particular goals that you go through when you go through establish, which we do regularly, These three goals parallel what I dream of and I see in God's word. That God will help you to serve, participate, 
and give like you see here. That God enacts that in his church and at the Springs to serve, participate, and give. Now, before I get into this, I realize that part of my mojo as a preacher is always trying to activate something new in somebody, right? Like I'm, I'm always, if it feels like I'm always trying to get you to do more and walk in a, in a deeper level with the church and do more for the church and all that stuff, and if it feels like that's where I'm about to go, that's because that's where I'm going. Let's just be real with this. But this week, as I've been praying through this, I've been kind of dealing with some of my own insecurities and saying, God, if I'm doing this, if I'm praying this, is this what you're calling people to do, to give more? And here's what you need to know. As much as I am asking you to go deeper with our church, which I am, I believe that there is something that the Holy Spirit wants to rescue you from. And this is a lot more about than just you being a a more committed member to our church. This is about you growing as a disciple of Jesus. And here's why this is important. When I see people whose marriages are divided, people who are diluted by distractions, and I see people that I love that are whittled away by the things of this world, you know what they need more than anything? They need the radical life that God calls us to in his word like this, that he enacts in a local church. They need to be filling themselves with the activities of what God's doing and not with the distractions that deplete their souls. So when I see the things that make me cry in people's lives, what they need more than anything is what God offers us together when he calls us to this sort of lifestyle. And you know what? A few decades ago, maybe we could have blended in with the culture around us and started to look like the the next conservative guy or whatever without this sort of radicalness. And we could have deceived ourselves into thinking that we're, we're okay without living with an extreme devotion to Christ and, and maybe explicitly not being challenged in our faith. But you know what? The challenge to your faith today is a lot more explicit to believe things that are lies, to to think that this is not true. In our culture, the pressures on you to reject God's word are a lot more explicit than they used to be. And you know what? I think that's good. I think that the pressure to actually see God do a miracle in your life produces a better opportunity to jump all in. And so here we go. Are we ready for this? Serve, participate, and give. Here's where, when I say serve, first of all, number one, serve, I'm specifically talking about serving on Sundays to make this experience, these services, thrive and work. And here's where I see serving as it relates to Sunday, Sunday services. Here's where I see this in Acts 2. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. 
it goes on to talk about the fellowship they shared in this togetherness, in this relationship they had. But I have to ask, if these people from different cultures were so together, what in essence held them together foundational to everything else? Was it the genuineness and sincerity of their affection for one another? Well, no, I think there was something deeper than that. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Beyond anything else that can hold us together, beyond common interest, beyond uh, common culture, it's the apostles' teaching, the truth of God's word. The apostles' teaching later became known as the holy book, the Bible. These 66 books of the Bible is the very thing that will cut through our divisions and the different lies that we believe that would prevent us from having true fellowship and togetherness with one another. When there is war and racial tension, what do we need more than anything? It's not my opinion versus yours. It's the word of God that frees us and holds us together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the word of God. And there is a message that held them together because more than a common culture or common interest, they had a common savior that they experienced communion with as they they ate and drank of the Savior himself. So I have a practical question for you. How, how are you serving on Sundays to make this work? Uh, are, are you helping with our kids in the back, knowing that we make disciples here and it's important and we make disciples there and that's important? Uh, are you helping with hospitality? We have needs, but you have a need to serve more than we just have needs to have people serve. And let me be more practical. If you skip town for a month, would you be missed here? That's, that's where it gets real. Now, I'm, not ta- I'm, I'm assuming, let's say you skip town, but you didn't equip and empower someone else to fill the role that you're carrying. Because I, I would hope that you would do that. But let's say you didn't do that and you skipped town. Would you be missed? Would it hurt would, would we be missing you? And I hope the answer is yes. I hope the answer is that, man, you're so important by how you serve and how you, how, how you participate, especially if you've been coming here for a while, okay? If this is your first time visiting, this is, it gets real, but don't worry. It gets even more real at these next ones, okay? But check this out. If you've been here for a while and you just weren't here for a while, my hope is that we would feel it. That's how it's supposed to be. There is no us without you. That's how it's supposed to be. Would you be missed? And I hope the answer is yes. If not, then listen to the Holy Spirit and don't just walk out of here. See what he wants to do to where you would be missed if you left for a month. Serve. Next, participate. Now, when I say participate, I'm specifically talking about growing in participation with others who are growing in, in specifically in growth groups. And what that necessarily entails is meeting together regularly in growth group meetings on a, on a weekly basis. I'm being specific there. But here's where I see that here. Verse 40, verse 44. All who believed, now check this out. What, what holds us together? It's the message we believe. So all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
Everyone say together. together. Are you a new person? And more fundamentally, are you growing together with people who have been made new by God as well? In a communal covenant-based relationship, your common savior and the common message that you have come to believe creates a supernatural togetherness that no demon in hell could separate. No lie, no hurt. You're together with this person. Are you together specifically with someone in a growth group? And if you're not, let me just tell you what you're missing out on and you can have the joy of stepping into this. When you are sick or you have a family member who's sick, there's someone else who feels that. There's someone who's, when you're rejoicing, it is their rejoicing. When you're winning, it is their winning. When you're hurting, they're hurting. When you're weeping, it is their weeping. They just might weep differently than you. Are you connected like that? When you are reaching out to a coworker, you're engaging them with the gospel. You're going to go buy them lunch and share your story about how you're a mess, but Jesus has accepted you and loved you and he's growing you. When you're going to go to your coworker, are their prayers going with you and vice versa? Are you connected covenantally to someone else? If not, that's your future, can I say? That's your future. Serve, participate, and finally, give. And when I say give, I'm especially talking about sharing in the life of the finances of the springs. As an owner, rather than like a patron. You know, when you go and you get a service from another business, you're a patron. You give the money to their organization. As opposed to the church of the living God, even though I I have uh, some legal and spiritual responsibility as the, the, uh, the, the minister here to have some responsibility over the finances of the church, I am every bit as, as much an owner as the next member in this church. And do you own that part of the church too? That's what God's word calls you to. Check this out. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a pretty strange and wonderful and radical way of living and giving, is it not? What is Christian giving supposed to look like? Now, Old Testament standard is tithing. Tithing in the Old Testament is basically rendering to God 10% of your income before taxes. And I believe as it relates to the New Testament that 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 is rendered appropriated through the local church. That's a description of Old Testament giving. But let's just be real. Even Old Testament giving is uncommon in the United States. Even among professing Christians, we statistically know it's uncommon and strange. Even just Old Testament giving. But you're not going to convince me, biblically, that we're bound to 
the Old Testament rules for New Testament believers. But you're also not going to convince me that we should aspire to anything less. Now, what's described here makes me a lot more comfortable, uncomfortable than what's already unusually rare in our culture, the tithing. This is even stranger. It says that they sold everything and had everything in common. This is what's described in Acts chapter 2. Now, I'll say this. Oftentimes, when, when it's this verse or any other part of Acts especially, people can take what's described in, in the book of Acts and start to prescribe it as, okay, therefore, since they did this, this is what you should do in your culture today. I don't believe that. I, I think there are some things that are described in Acts that we should look at and say, man, God did a special thing and thank God for what he described. But let me tell you at least what I think I can prescribe from what is described here in Acts as it relates to giving. I believe that your giving should involve great gratefulness and generous hearts. It should involve gladness as we see described here. Check this out. If you're giving 10% of your income to the local church, maybe you've been through the established class and you've just said, God, I'm going to do that. That's, uh, I'm going to take that adventurous risk and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and do that. But let's say you still don't have a glad heart in doing it. Well, then you should have a glad heart in doing it and ask God to grow you and make you new, a new person in that regard. Maybe you're not doing that yet. Well, test God with a glad heart to even start there. Maybe you're doing all of that and it's a glad heart. Well, on top of that, you should give to a missionary. You should give to Haiti. And this week, if you're on our newsletter, we're going to have us share with you in our email a specific way that you can give to Haiti. But don't give unless it's with a glad and generous heart. This is a risky, wonderful transcendent thing called giving. And look, I can sometimes be proud of myself when I look and compare myself to regular American people. But we're supposed to have a little bit of an awe that says this otherness is not what God necessarily prescribes us if we're Christians, but it, does, it is something that he grows us into. And there should be a level of sanctified discomfort and awe as we approach God's word. And it talks about how we're supposed to spend our time in serving him and spend our time in real covenantal sacrificial relationship with other human beings that are also made new by him. And, and we should have an awe and sanctified discomfort even as we're affirmed and we're growing in him, as it relates to what we would consider our money. Now, if you're giving to this church, the other thing, and, it's, and you're giving because you want to be a part of what God's doing, well, that's great. God did a redemptive thing through these people. They, they knew that the, the hope of glory of the world was not for just Rome to stop being mean. It was Rome to be 
uh, redeemed inside out by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they sold it all for this sort of life. Now, how many of y'all know that today in our culture, there are some needs in our culture that need to be remedied in our politics, in our society? Anyone? Anyone think that? If you don't, then you're not paying attention. But check this out. As much as uh, civil rights and and civil duties are good, I'm not going to say don't vote or any of those things, we can all at least agree that there's got to be a better hope than that, right? And we can sell out to that, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we can, like them, in essence, pool our resources in faith to see God do a redemptive thing far greater than people pooling their resources politically. Amen? But I want to say this. How we give to God is so much more than just pooling our resources for what we, to remedy what we see today. So, so if you give to the church because you love being a part of what God's doing in our midst, that's great. But there is a deeper thing about giving to God, about that which already belongs to him. And as, as far as it relates to the deeper things, whether it's of giving or a lot of things, I realize that from this pulpit, there is going to need to be, we're going to have to slow down and go deeper into God's word to teach on this. Because there's so much more about giving that I quite frankly, maybe it's because of my insecurity, I quite frankly haven't taught on enough in the last several years. Jesus taught about money more than he taught about anything else. It's because he knows something about your heart and your faith and your freedom that you don't know. And we're going to teach this, especially this fall, the rest of this fall, a lot on money and on giving and on freedom. And I'm going to go deeper into this than just, hey, you, you got to do, be a part of what we're doing. Give to this. We're going to go deeper into that as it relates to your freedom, your, your habits, your faith in God and who he is. We're going to go there, okay? But as it relates to our life and this strange new life God calls us to, the first words it says is they devoted themselves. Can we stand to our feet, please? My desire is for us to truly devote ourselves to God. To his teaching. In his word. That that's what would be held in greatest honor as we meet together. As we discuss and pray in our growth groups. It's, it's his word. And you devote yourselves and you, you devote your time and your energy. Think about it. Voting, we're talking a lot about voting and our rights to, to vote. Well, sometimes we have to lay down our rights. We have to devote and devote ourselves to God and his word and allow him to be in control of these areas and just take the risk and take the adventure. If you're here and you're already taking the growth steps, well, I'm going to ask you, are you helping anyone else take the growth steps? Are you helping someone else go through the established class? Or, or have you stopped after establish? Have you been to establish? Do you need to sign up at the end of the month to go through our established class? I invite you to do that. Or have you already done it and maybe you've stopped there? I want to tell you, there's more. You're going to be equipped to minister and empowered to lead, to engage and establish others that are not yet here. And it's an adventure that has a lot of miracles and power done through you in it. And it's way more exciting than whether or not the Cowboys are winning 
or the Cowboys are losing. Now, I'm not just compelling you to a greater adventure than the NFL. I'm also pastoring you good. In case you're a Cowboy fan, I'm just preparing your heart for, you know, December, okay? Let's devote ourselves to a greater God than we are willing to see sometimes. And I want you to be able to express your faith in this moment. I'm going to sing a song that maybe is familiar to you because we've sung it before. But I'm going to challenge you to think about the things. What did the Holy Spirit challenge during my sermon? What did he put his finger on and and maybe point out some sanctified discomfort in your lifestyle or your living or giving? What is that? Can you say in faith and declare in faith, I I give that away, God. Use me. God, we give ourselves not, not to a lifestyle, not to a thing. We give ourselves to the person who's already given himself. We can love you because you first loved us. We can give because you first given your first fruits. And you are the first fruits of all redemption, Jesus. Help us to be safe in that adventure, in that newness. Help us to continue to grow in being yours. Amen. Now, before we dismiss, I want to just prepare you for next week. Next week is going to be a special sermon series before our Blessed Life uh, money series we do this fall. Next week is a special message where we're going to talk about body image and what God thinks about your physical health. And it's going to be especially weighty. And uh, God's going to do a special thing of healing in it and through it. And I invite you to especially prepare yourself and engage in what God thinks about you. Did you know, I'll give you a preview. Did you know that God's a lot more okay with you than you are? He's not ashamed of who you are. In fact, he made you. The things that grieve him, he wants to heal. So that's next week. But I'm saying prepare yourself for that and, and, and come with that. Now, our joy boxes are in the back if you need to give. If you have questions or prayers, if you need to be connected to our growth groups, we're here. But at this point, we're dismissed. Thank you.